my medium shirt there's my sweatshirt oh sega bass fishing shirt very nice Ian. welcome to the completely unnecessary podcast for uh wow it's march tuesday march 2nd 2021 it's almost spring time almost we're getting there alongside ian ferguson i'm pat country on the show today we'll be talking about talking about the playing with power documentary a little bit google stadia is failing uh stolen games retro games are covered uh, an NWC near perfect counterfeit, not a repro, and some voice messages. Ian, how was your weekend? It was good. I finished uh, reading a book on Antarctica. Oh, that I'd sounds started. nice. It was good. It How's was... Antarctica doing? They doing okay down there? I mean, it's interesting. Um, they talked about like the people who spend you know a lot of time down there, what life is like down there, and then uh, you know at the end it went into global warming and explained just how climate change. Yeah. <laughs> climate change and uh affects it and how that you know why we need to pay attention to it and the science behind it uh, with the ice sheets and stuff like that yeah and uh no it was a it was a very good book very easy read um believe the uh, author's name i believe was gabby walker um no it was a great book on i gotta read i enjoyed it it was 500 pages uh thereabouts and it didn't it read briskly it didn't ever really drag so like a fine lipton tea just yeah, hit you, hit the back of the throat. And you're like, oh. it was delicious. So now I've started phrase. reading a book on the history of cooking utensils. Huh? Going back to the stone ones, the prehistoric era. I <laughs> uh, started with a really good intro on like the the wooden spoon, and you know, kind of gave you. Uh, I don't know. It's good. It's good so far. I think I'll blow through that one. Pretty there had to be one before the wooden spoon back in the Roman times. No, no, had to use absolutely. Something. But I mean, it's just, it just—it starts with one of the most you know iconic okay. kitchen utensils and kind of oh. goes into its history, and it's 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 nice. I say this every year. Smartphones has destroyed my reading. I used to read four or five books a year, and what the hell happened? Smartphones, damn you, the past nine, ten years. Yeah, I smartphones didn't help my reading. They weren't what destroyed it. It didn't I, help anyone. I used to be, I used to be a, a, a big reader, and I'm not reading as much as I would like to again, but I'm reading more than I was. So it's, I mean, I'm, I'm getting there. It's, it's small steps. My, my attention, I, it's hard for me to pay, sit down and just read for, uh, you know, a couple hours without getting sidetracked. Uh, you know what sidetracks us? Pokemon. Pokemon there was, sidetracks. There was a direct that came out. Ian was excited. I was I was over the moon because you know how much I love Pokemon. Yeah, Pat was just uh, through I, the roof. I love the pocket monsters. You know me. Um, I love them. So uh, just real quickly, uh, they announced two things and showed off a little bit more. They showed off a little bit more of the new Pokemon Snap, which I am super excited okay, that's for. A, that's a game I, I will play. Uh, I like Pokemon Snap. I'm super excited for that. Maybe with cats, I'd play it. Cat uh, Snap might might even uh, might even take the day off for that one. Um, it's likely coming out on a Friday. I usually have Fridays off. Um, so that looked good. I'm definitely excited for that. The two big things that they announced were um, the Diamond and Pearl generation Diamond of Pokemon are getting remakes. Uh, what did they call them? It's like Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl will be coming out this year, late 2021. I'm assuming probably October sometime. Uh, I don't mind the look of them. I think they look pretty good. They've got this weird cutesy squat 
3D style on the map screen. Some people didn't like it. I liked it. Um, some people think they look lazy. I think they have been outsourced. I think uh, the the remakes were outsourced. So I don't expect to see a lot of new or adventurous additions in this remake. But um, I think the games will be fine. Are, are, are Pokemon like fans the most critical when it comes to this stuff that I've ever heard about? Like, are they outsourcing the art to someone else? Or are they doing like? My I don't, God, I don't want to paint with a too broad of a brush here. There were a lot of criticisms directed towards Pokemon during the <laughs> Sword and Shield development cycle that were very valid, um, and there was lots of room for people to be genuinely upset about where Pokemon was going, but the. Once again, it's the people who take it too far, the people who overreact. And now I do feel like we have, well, I said there are tons of valid reasons. Um, I feel like it's embittered a lot of Pokemon fans, and they just don't want anything. I mean, there are a lot. It seems like there's a lot of negativity in the Pokemon community. Go back and play the other 30 fucking Pokemon games that exist, then. You got tons of stuff out there. I, this open world Pokemon game looks pretty cool. That's though. where I'm I'll, heading, though. I, uh, I'll, I'll get this, this this Breath of the Wild uh, Pokemon game. <laughs> um, so it is poke. It's called Pokemon Legends uh, Arceus. I've always pronounced it Arceus. I think I heard over the weekend that it's pronounced Arceus. Someone, arse, yes. Someone, pr- 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 someone, um, correct me. Uh, in the comments and let me know how you pronounce it. Uh, but this one goes, it's in uh, Sinnoh, the same as Diamond and Pearl, but it's <laughs> hundreds of years before. It's like a before Pokemon as we know it Pokemon game. And um, it Look, looks to be... Before they're all wrangled up by people? It looks to be kind of a mixture of not quite an action RPG, but things just happen in the field. It looks like, you know, if you encounter a Pokemon and you're going to fight, it's an adventure you just kind of stop there and then, you know, it pops out. Yeah. It, 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 there's no there's no translation transition from, like, map screen to... Yeah, a little star fade or whatever. Right. It's just, okay, here we go. All right, it's, not, it's a cool so idea. it's a neat idea, and, and Vonnie is super, super pumped up for it. Well, I, you know, I, she likes Breath of the Wild, so a Pokemon Breath of the Wild sort of game is up her valley, right? I, I don't know. I mean, it look it has some similar look to Breath of the Wild, but I'm not sure what we saw that made people immediately well, assume it was going to be Breath of the Wild, other than everyone suddenly said it was Pokemon Breath of the Wild. Well, I mean... It's, it's open. You, know, you run around yeah. the, the countryside, right? It's, it's definitely not, going to be different than the mainline game. I mean, I'm sure they might have borrowed some assets here and there. Who knows? <laughs> how, I mean, how, how much different can you do blades of grass and, sure. you know, and trees? <laughs> so, um, all in all, I think it looks good. Uh, I And this is not me. I'm not trying to double back on what I just said. I do have one complaint. I'm not angry. I'm not going to yell at anyone about it. Um, but I was really, 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 really... So hoping to see um, Pokemon Let's Go Gold and Silver announced. Uh, Pokemon Let's Go, uh, which came out, what, two years ago, is... Honestly, I just did a meme online where I said Pokemon Snap was my favorite Pokemon game. Let Pokemon Let's Go might it truly be my favorite Pokemon game. Which one is that again? That's the one they did on the Switch that mixes original Pokemon... Mi- mixes it, so it was a remake of um, Yellow... Oh, okay. And, oh, okay. And it was a mixture yeah, of traditional Pokemon and Pokemon Go mechanics. Okay. And it was really fun and addictive. Oh, it's it's the overhead thing, right? Is it the overhead one? Is that the dungeon? That's the dungeon games. Well, I mean, the dungeons. dungeon games are overhead, sure. I mean, this is kind of confused. overhead. Yeah, I think you're confused. You're often confused when it comes to Pokemans. That's uh, how I know I'm officially old. Yeah. I was, it was just after my time. Power Rangers, that was it for me for the, for the kiddie you stuff. You and Vani are the same age. 
Okay, well, I was in college when Pokemon came out. I mean, it's, I had other things going on. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying, your age does not excuse I, you. I was, I was playing PC games in Unreal and Rogue Spirit and, trying to, and, and, and hitting on girls unsuccessfully. That's, that was my college years. Good stuff. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, that, that Pokemon Let's Go, I put 24 hours into it in less than 72 hours. It's the hardest a game has what? grabbed me probably since Pat high F. school. And, uh, yeah, I really want to see a sequel to that. But, hey, maybe next year. Well, glad you had a fun time there. Lots of directs happening in the same, same, almost same week as the Nintendo one, which is weird. I'm happier uh, with them than most people seem to be. Yeah, I'm, ju- I'm just over these people. I'm, I'm, over, I'm over you. I'm just over you. Um, not you personally, Ian. Uh, Speaking of that, uh, there's a there's a Pokemon reference in the, in the new Flea Market Madness, so check it out. There, there's a couple of Pokemon references. I'm sure it's timely. Wow. Okay. All right. Someone's got to make books and do other things besides edit fucking flea market videos every week. But okay. God, it's some flea market shade for me. And check it out. It's volume thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. You need to try to play footsies with me right there. Was that, you? Was that, was that your foot? No, it was the... It was, it was a cord? Oh, you pushed the cord in me. I pushed the cord. Okay. Semi-footsies. Uh, Polymega is supposed to have been released, and I saw a couple people that have them, but we're still not sure everyone has them, so it's weird. And and Poly, uh, Polymega has has not... The Twitter account did not say anything recently about this, so I have no idea what's going on with Polymega. So, basically, just a quick recap. Polymega uh, came out about a month ago with a very weirdly worded... Um, post that update was an update Hmm. Um, a very weirdly worded post that we had covered on here about how they were encouraging wall people who had pre-ordered through walmart to cancel their walmart pre-orders and then reorder on uh their website with a caveat then you wouldn't probably get until like the fall like Uh, wouldn't come anytime soon also we noticed then that the polymega through their website had gone from 400 up to 449 but you can use a $50 coupon, whatever. It was dumb. It was dumb. Let me uh, say this. And then they said that uh, officially everything would start shipping in late February. Uh, before this recording happened, we had started receiving uh, messages from people on Twitter you know, wanting us to bring up the fact that as far as many of these people can tell, with the exception of some very public-facing people and people who have had test units of Polymega for a few months now, um, no one has received any sort of shipping notifications, so we're kind of back to wondering what, what's going on here. Yeah, the, the Nintendo Life article reviews it um, with updated firmware, so it, it's semi-unethical because that's not a finished product that they're reviewing. That's not a ship, ship product. So, um, yeah, Damien McFerrin does a review of it, but it's like, w- well... You have something that no one else has yet, and you don't even you're not positive that's the finished product. There could have been changes. Like, it, okay, my my, we're, take, my take on it is if it's truly the final firmware and it's roughly the same, he can make a review on it. But I feel like it's kind of out of touch with the f- whole polymega situation that has been dragging people along for years to release it, like to to put out this review and say it's done, it's out. Wait until people have these in their hand. I don't think it's. I don't think it's proper. It's not. It's not the same product that's, that other people are getting. There could be something different. You're not sure. You're not positive that it's the same. Same firmware, sure. It may not be the same thing. These are ones they got. What six months ago they got these? When like I think uh, other reviewers got. I think Metal Jesus got one. Like this. This is like yeah. It was a fall. So like things could have changed. They could have. I just this is has this has not happened before with something like this that I remember where we gave you a, uh, an early beta unit and now you're reviewing off of that beta unit. 
It's kind of weird. Like when everyone, like when I reviewed, now the people reviewed the Restaurant Five. We we reviewed the units that were shipped to stores. Like they were those. Sure. They were in the retail boxes. Yeah. You know. Anyway, sorry. That's not on Damien. It's just on the whole process. And for as much uh, crap in the past, we we gave analog for for uh, PR stuff. Wow. Uh, they are golden compared to to the Polymega team. Like it's. I mean, are you kidding me? It's 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 a it's way classes above. So hopefully people hopefully people get their stuff. Hopefully people get their stuff. Yeah, I mean that's that's, that's what we, we would say we about this stuff. Want. Get your stuff. Get don't your get ripped stuff, off. Please get your stuff. Uh, don't turn into the Atari watch. Uh, Frogger game show, real quick. Uh, this was this was this was cute. We last talked about Frogger with the with the the pretty good uh, uh, app game. That we, we we talked about, yeah, the one that Q Games back. put out, um, yeah, yeah, that was, was fun. That was fun. It was with the the physics based uh, yeah. engine and stuff like that. Yeah, I I gave it a whirl. I I, I would <laughs> love to play it with a controller at some point. I'm sure I probably have a Bluetooth controller that would connect to my phone. You got an eight bit uh, do controller? Yeah, those will probably connect. Yeah. Huh? Anyways, good. it was even fun with the touchscreen. Eight bit do not do 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 whatever Nintendo. So the, the greenlit uh, NBC's Peacock. Streaming network, which is the worst name that NBC could have for a network. It's not a good name. It's awful. It's a bad name. Um, like, oh, they have a peacock symbol. We'll name it. Okay, VP. Great. No, that's what someone should have said to them in marketing. Um, so they greenlit a 13-episode series where it's going to be one of these, like, over-the-top competitions. John Cena is now hosting one. By the way, John Cena is on 17 commercials at one time now, I'm noticing. He's done so many commercials recently. He's on everything. Anyway, John good for him. Cena. Good for Local John Cena makes good. He's literally local. local. John he's, Cena. Literally, he's literally local to us. Um, so um, I don't want news to come out about John Cena being a bad person, because I feel like he's kind of like the, a... The worst thing that came out about him was him not, not marrying the Bella sister. He's like, where he kind of, a week before, was like, no, I don't want to do this. I really don't want... I'm not... You know, I'm, I don't want to change my life. Which is like... You could have told her earlier, but you know it's like you don't want that to be your life. He wants to go make movies. Just okay, better than getting married and then getting divorced. Yes, yes. uh, Six months later, and then she got married, had a kid like a a year and a half later. So like it worked out anyway. So um, so he's hosting one of these shows, not this one, where it's one of these over the top competitions where you know you have big balls you bounce off of and you 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 fall on your head, but you don't get hurt because everything is like cushioned, like the like the competition athletic show. That's what they want Frogger to be. Leap over snapping gators and hop over hungry hippos. They want it to be a wipeout. Yeah. Yeah. Or what is it? MXG challenge back in the day. Uh, total. Yeah. Uh, Takashi's Castle. Yeah. That's they, what it's they, actually they, called. Yeah. Where people somehow don't get hurt when they get thrown off their asses into pools of water. Even the freaking, even the, the Steph Curry uh, mini golf competition game. That was pretty good. Incorporate elements of that where you have to do athletic stuff in between hitting the ball and you get knocked into your ass or in the water. I don't really know how people don't get killed doing this stuff. You know, I just don't. Anyway, so they're 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 um, they're pitching it as a wild, whimsical Frogger world. Okay, Ian, what do you think about this? Is, is this yeah? Oh, they bring up ABC's Holy Moly. That was the one with Steph Curry. I mean, I think it's a silly yeah. idea, but I mean, I, it, it, at least it slots in with shows that have already been created. American Ninja Warrior. That one was where the, the people that are actually like gymnasts doing that stuff. That's an interesting one. I, I just think it's yeah. weird to use the Frogger license. There was a period of time in the late 90s to mid-2000s where Konami brought the frog back and was making them work. 
making them work. <laughs> no uh, movies, no, no cartoons. No, but uh, you know, he had multiple Game Boy Advance games. He had multiple PlayStation Two games. Um, there was the popular Majesco published Frogger that was on Super Nintendo, Genesis, PlayStation One. Uh, so Frogger, you know, I mean. They tried to make him more of a mascot at one point, but he's he's not. So I'm not. This sure. is a personality, really. Right. It, exactly. There's no personality. Put a hat on him and a business tie and a suitcase. They try to do that, and it's like, like I would love to see this just because I think it would be fun to watch people run around on a big foam covered, you know, version of a Frogger level. Will a car take you out? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, is work? there a big foam car that's going to cruise into you at 15 miles per hour and you know launch you? I I think it's amusing. I just I mean. We'll see. It doesn't. It doesn't seem it's, in touch with the kids. Frogger turns forty this yeah, year. Yeah, doesn't seem in touch with the kids. No one knows what Frogger is anymore besides old timers like like Ian and me. It's not. It's not one. It's like it's a it's a second or third tier, you know, classic arcade game. Everyone loves Frogger, but come on, come on. The last time we, we he, he had like the little super cave thing. They had to give him personality by freaking putting him in like you know like a fifties thing. Get up. Right, they did that with Cubert as well. My confused, they did with Frogger. Like they had to do. Something uh, they made like him like an adventure game character, like in some of the Game Boy games. Like you know, Frogger went on adventures and had magic hats, and I don't know. He's a frog. He's a frog. He's a frog. He's a frog. His name Frogger. You're killing me here. Yeah, they mentioned Saturday Supercade right here. Anyway, so that's that's interesting. Um, what else is going on here? Uh, playing with power. The, the crackle, crackle crackle documentary uh, came out. And it's, and it's thankfully it's it's on the app and it's in the browser. It's free, but there's like five minutes of commercials every ten minutes. There's like more commercials or the same amount of commercials as on TV, which they gotta make the money. I get it. So I saw a couple of reviews. I didn't read them entirely. IGN uh, kind of gave it an average review. I only saw the first episode. The first episode it is an hour and eleven minutes. It could have been forty minutes. The first episode. There's they really stretch this stuff out in these documentaries from what we've seen the past uh, weeks. So the first episode deals with the founding of Nintendo, what was that, 1880-something, 89, with the Hanafuda cards, uh, which is interesting to learn about the history of that, and it goes all the way up until, you guessed it, the video game crash, pre-Nintendo, pre or pre-NES, I should say. Um, so the issue with this documentary is this. You have a documentary that 80% of it takes place in Japan. There is no one who is Japanese featured in the documentary. They did not interview anyone associated with Nintendo of Japan. They did not interview any Japanese historians. Hell, even a, a, a Japanese expert in a Hanafuda card history would have been great to interview early on. There was no one... Really? Ta- That's... There was no one. No one. It was really mind-boggling to see that. Uh, Chris Kohler... We love Chris Kohler. That's true. You owe Chris Crackle, you owe Chris Kohler money because without Chris Kohler, there would not have been a first episode. He walked you through the history of Nintendo for the most part and the toys. He had all the toys in his room displaying them. He had all. He, there, would, there would not have been a first episode without Chris. I'm not, that's not hyperbole. I believe it. So, like, this, this goes back to my problem with, with, the other, with the Netflix high score documentary is that we only have, they only interviewed about 15, 20 different people. Some will only appear a couple of times. But it's cheap. Like, the production quality is, is great. It's edited uh, uh, fairly well. Um, they have, which is kind of weird when I think about it, they, to, to, to show, like, Japan, like, in the 60s and the 70s, they had someone do miniatures, like, which little miniature Japanese people in like little shopping centers they, they, like a street with Nintendo's uh, headquarters there which I'm like this is cool 
I want to talk to someone from Japan. I want to listen to someone describe like the culture of Japan who actually was in Japan. Like this is a big production. This isn't a YouTube show like video game years. This is a big production. Uh, to do this. So that was kind of shocking. And then they had weird montages that would show up to walk you through stuff like like um oh Nintendo goes and talks to uh, Disney whatever it was in the 60s to get licensed uh you know Disney playing cards. There was no one explaining that to you or how that happened or what happened. They just showed a text on the screen telling you Nintendo gets the right to Disney stuff. And it's like that was probably a big deal, and you sort of just glossed over it with, like, a text on... Uh, it wasn't even um, Sean Astin narrating that part. It was just text on screen. Lots of montages that lasted way too long to, to just roll you through things where it was like... Like, a real... Regular documentaries don't have long passes of time without people talking. There was, like, two, three minutes at a time with no one talking in this documentary. Yeah, exactly. It was really weird. So like, what'd they fill it with? Like, I, I'm sorry I didn't watch this. It apparently came I out forgot. late last night. Or came out last night. I just forgot. I watched yeah. it at 11, 11 o'clock at night. I actually so, tried to get to bed early. So, um, of all things. Don't documentary shame me. You know, I, got cake, I, was, like, I was the cake shamer last week. I'm not documentary <laughs> shaming you. I was just like, I tried to go to bed early, no, no, which is so something there, I normally don't do. There's pacing issues. No one from Japan interviewed. No one. No, again, no one from Japan interviewed. They, there, there was a montage of Shigeru Miyamoto once, but right before they got into him. So there was like um, a history of, of Shigeru. Oh, he was, a, you know, he worked on some uh, design uh, of the games in the 70s. He was in the warehouse. So then it didn't go into like, hey, here's Shigeru Miyamoto, or here's a guy who worked next to him, or someone from Nintendo that was around. It was literally like a montage of, of him and his history up until like, almost present day pictures of him and it's like it stopped like it just stops and shows it it, 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 it jumped around then at that point it wasn't just like oh here's your girl Miyamoto when he's like young he must have been like 25 at the time you know um, so it would like get you to a point where you wanted to learn more and then pull you away and go on hmm. you know the, the infamous love motels yeah that was literally like Nintendo in the 60s tried things like this is Sean Astin narrating they tried things like uh, a TV station. Okay, I would love to learn the thoughts behind that and what happened to it. Nope. They tried a, a, a like a, a minute rice company. Okay. Then they went into the love motel. Great. I want to learn about this. We've always talked about what we, what was it? What were they do, thinking doing this? How did they get into it? When did they realize they get out? Nothing. Right. Nothing about the love motel. Everyone out there has heard about the love motel, but knows nothing about it. This is why I want to watch the documentary. Tell me about this weird history about Nintendo. Nothing. Push push past it and move on. It was shocking, some of the parts, is how they did not linger at all. Not even a minute on a, the Love Motel. You couldn't give me a minute on a Love Motel and, and what they were thinking. Someone has to know about the Love Motel. Weird. Stuff. Yeah. So, it wasn't all bad, but it was very uneven. There was a few good moments on this. In this, there had it was, it's, again. It was an, an hour and eleven minutes. It should have been forty-five minutes. Uh, this documentary, um, they did give a couple minutes of credit uh, to Ralph Bear because uh, it had to stop to establish some game history. Our, our pal Leonard Herman, video game historian, talked to him uh, in his huge basement collection out there in Jersey, and he had one of the the, the model brown boxes that Ralph created. He created, like, I think, uh, 10 to 15 of them. The original, original brown box is in, is in the Smithsonian uh, under lock and key. So we talked about it. So, so Ralph Bear got his due a little bit, which is good, because he got, he got nothing from high score on Netflix. Not a, not a word about Ralph Bear and his importance. So that was good. 
they talked to Nolan Bushnell for the Atari stuff. He had to build up to that a little bit. And, of course, uh, uh, good old Howard Phillips, who we, we know and love, uh, shows up as well. There's a few good moments about this in this one. Um, they, they showed uh, Ralph, uh, Ralph Beverly mentioned with Leonard. Howard Phillips, there was a big... It wasn't an original Donkey Kong machine. I don't know where they filmed it. There was a big Mamecade like with a big widescreen, and they had Howard Phillips play Donkey Kong on that, which was weird to see that. But it was fun because like he got into it, he couldn't get past the first stage. Howard, and he got frustrated. So that was funny. And then, and the most poignant moment at the end, which ended with the video game crash, they gave like three minutes, the same stuff we've all said. Uh, and they had, and Chris was saying it was funny. Chris Kohler, they, they asked Chris said probably the same stuff that he said in the video game years uh, segment that we did like you know eight nine years ago. But uh, they sit down with Nolan Bushnell. And he's reminiscing, and this was probably the best moment of this entire documentary, which had nothing to do with Nintendo. They basically asked, um, you know, do you feel bad about, you know, Atari, what's happened with it, mm. basically. And he was like, I was kind of somber, and he said, well, I look at Atari now, I, I, I can't live in the past. I look at it now, it basically started what we have now, but yes, it it's only now just a logo on a t-shirt. And it was kind of depressing, to think about if you were Nolan Bush now, like looking at what has happened with Atari, Atari could have been the Nintendo sure. of this of 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 the world. They they could have they squandered it, obviously, like in a, in the worst way possible. But hey, no one got paid out. He you know he sold to Warner. You know that was like a year in, year and a half in with, with the twenty six hundred. Yeah, wasn't that so? Like and 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 Warner drove it into the freaking ground, into the sewer. They, they drove it. So. But he had a good a couple of good points that about you know they, they really the twenty six hundred should have been phased out by about eighty, like three years. Oh yeah. And then they, they said he said by eighty three it was so old and it's like yeah they were trying to they they thought that uh, Warner was like yeah you'll have one video game console for like a huge amount of time like forever said, no that's not how it works they didn't get that and so we were talking also about that like all the successive successive consoles came out years too late fifty two hundred came out too late seventy eight hundred came out way too late so anyway so I I would say this check it out. But you will not. You'll learn about some things like the toys and things like that, and like the fact that I did the uh, duck hunt pro- projection game in the seventies, and like the wild gunman uh, live action light gun game, live action you know, you know movie game stuff like that. Stuff that you might know about, but you're not going to get into a huge amount of details with any of this stuff. It's all surface level. Let's let's listen to Chris Kohler, who we love, talk about this stuff. But let's not actually talk to anyone in Japan who might have worked on this stuff or. A historian in Japan that was around. You know what I mean? Like you have the money to do. It. I just don't. I didn't get it. They didn't go to Japan. They didn't go to Japan. Apparently, for a Nintendo documentary, I was I was shocked by that. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, unless he shows up later, but the fact that you did a Donkey Kong segment without Shigeru Miyamoto is fucking mind blowing to me. That you did that. Sorry. No, it's all good. You know what's mind blowing? In UltimateNintendo.com, mm-hmm. where you can get a. a <laughs> It's true. You can get certain guidebooks. We, yes, mentioned, we mentioned Donkey Kong in there and a couple of few different games there. Six games, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, also, you can get now pins, RBI baseball stickers, T-shirts, and more as well. I'm also on Cameo, cameo.com slash Pat Contry. You might join Cameo. Frank might join Cameo. I might. Frank, Frank I, I brought up to Frank, hey, Frank, want to make some money? He's like, yeah, I can do that. Um, and then also, uh, I'll be on Twitch Wednesday night, twitch.tv slash country code, going strong, almost a year straight, Ian, of 80s commercials. Isn't that, isn't that A great? year straight. Yeah. How many repeats you get in there? Oh, you get some repeats, but it's, it jumps around so much between 80 and 89, they're not too often the repeats, but, um, yeah, I really, I've decided that I hate the late 80s, and I love 
uh, the mid '80s. I love like '85. That's like the quintessential 80 years. And the, the, I love 80 and 81 because that's a total time warp because even by 84, the commercials are totally different. They look like a di- another era a few years later. Once you get into like the mid-80s, they look entirely different. The sensibilities and even graphics and things like that are totally different. So, uh, Ian, do you, you think we're going to ban uh, GTA sales? No, future? I highly doubt that's actually going to happen. I don't think we're actually going to ban GTA sales. Well, if a new bill passes... Uh, you'll you'll see that happen. It seems like we talk about the, this stuff, the, the overreaction to things every couple years about these lawmakers. Uh, I, I don't know, uh, trying to feed red red meat to their I don't know puritanical base. I don't know or yeah. fake puritanical. So uh, Rep. Marcus Evans Jr. out of Chicago is seeking to amend a law that dates back to 2012 and prevents certain video games from being purchased by minor. Last week, the lawmaker filed HB 3531, an amendment that wants to not just ban the sale of games featuring psychological harm and carjackings to minors, but to adults as well. According to Evans, these types of games promote criminal activities, which in turn hurt the community. Is there any data to back that out? Do you have any data about anything? carjackings that have gone up since like the release of like GTA 3 or anything? Yeah, has there been a spike in carjackings since, or, or, since, or, since the first game? Or beating up hookers? You don't get your change back from GTA? Like, has that happened? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, what are you... It's just... It's wild. So GTA 5 in particular has become an issue on Operation Safe Pump? That, okay. I feel like this game has become a huge issue in this spectrum. When you compare the two, you see harsh similarities as it relates to these carjackings. What? What? Uh, the bill will also change the definition of what a violent video game is, or more specifically, to the following. Control a character within the video game that is encouraged to perpetuate human-on-human violence in which the player kills or otherwise causes serious physical or psychological harm to another human or animal. What game are you ca- causing psychological harm to someone? You're, like yelling at someone for like not doing the dishes when you get home from work? Like what? What game is this that exists like that? Or an animal? I oh, think the, there's oh, like interrogation and uh, uh, like torture in Grand Theft Auto Five. But okay, so for what animal? So I guess you can't play Minecraft anymore, Ian, because you can like beat up pigs and and, and cows in that game. You yeah. Know? So like, this is nuts. It's nuts. We 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 talk, we, we we have to cover this stuff though because it's insane. Fucking work, worry about real issues. I hate this shit. It never goes away. And these lawmakers, I, I guess at some point, have grown up with video games, they know better. At some point, they, we age out of the uh, the freaking people going after the games and Lieber, uh, Lieberman from the from the 90s. And like, how, at some point, they die out. The boomers die out. There's, it's the boomers. They die out at some point. And then you're left with people that grew up with video games and don't have these attitudes, right? Yeah. It- I just I, I I'm I'm not even sure what they're trying to accomplish necessarily. Trying to get trying to get in the spotlight. That's all it is. Yeah, I mean because I don't I I just I would find it very hard to. That's my bigger issue. Is I find it very hard to believe that any of these people who do these things actually believe that it's going to have the effect that they're stating. They just think it sounds good and it's going to score them some brownie uh, points. I'm going to get reelected. Yeah. If I say this shit that I don't believe in, God, politicians are awful. Pinball Hall of Fame, Ian. We brought it up a few weeks ago. I, we, they did a they did a um, a GoFundMe to help keep the lights on. Yes, which I I, I didn't know what was happening. Um, 
And it looks like it's going to work. Uh, to date, is at least from when this um, article was released, um, hopes of bringing in the 200000 needed to help pay the bills. Uh, they have raised over 135000 So it looks like it's going well for them. Um, but I think, you know, the problems with Las Vegas' Pinball Hall of Fame are, you know, uh, symptomatic of a much larger issue, and that is... Uh, our museums and our museums and institutions uh, in, in places that we go to learn have been um, suffering over the past year. And, uh, you know, supporting them as best as we can is, is something that we should all consider doing, especially as vaccines come around. We should be going back to our museums, our zoos, go back to um, your places that you know, run basically nonprofit and check them out. This article shows that 30% of uh, places uh, such as this have been um, closed for the past year. And the ones that have reopened are running at about 35% of their previous attendance because people don't want to go out. Um, If there was ever a place that you in your city, you felt like was something that you would take someone to go see. Um, but you haven't been able to do that, consider throwing them some money. Um, consider renewing that pass, even though you haven't been able to go use it recently. I'm really big on trying to support the stuff that your city does that's cool, and the Pinball Hall of Fame is a big and very well-known one in Vegas. And I'm not surprised that people you know, were there to support it and wouldn't let it die, but I don't know. I, I just feel like look around your neighborhood, look around your city, and see what else needs that help. Yeah, if you're if you're going to go to the zoo anyway, you know if you're going to get membership, get the membership, renew it, or go give the money to the museum you you would have went to anyway. Uh, the light is is at the end of the tunnel. I mean, we are getting uh, vaccinated now. Uh, we're going to have hundreds of millions of doses in the U.S. by I think by May was the latest uh, update on that. So there's going to be enough to go around. It's just it's just uh, you know getting it to people, as Ian plugs in right now. Um, it, it's just it's just a matter of of each state in logistics and getting us get put the shots on our arms basically so yeah. i mean i'm i'm semi they just canceled comic-con in july prge was just canceled in august yeah the summer's a little bit optimistic uh for things i think at this point but who knows but i think my i'm gonna knock on wood and say by the fall by like mid-fall i think we're gonna be mostly all right i think if we if if things go according to the plan right now if we if we ramp this up that's what i'm hoping yeah, that's what I'm hoping for too. I think anything summer is a little. It's just it's hard to know because you, you need months of planning. Who knows? Maybe by July we'll have the majority of Americans vaccinated, but we, we don't know because we've been slow to roll it out. Uh, there wasn't help with the last administration, obviously, with, with some of this. So, um, you know, we have to we have to just keep on the course. But there is light in the tunnel. That's and the good news is that uh, not to get the vaccine talk is all the, all the different vaccines. Um, may not all prevent you from getting it, but they'll pr- all prevent you from dying from it and lessening your symptoms at least. So that's all. That's good. You know, don't worry about. Well, this one's ninety five percent versus seventy percent. Get whatever the hell you can get. It's better than getting nothing, um, and you're not going to die at least, or, or or hopefully not end up in the hospital too. But either way, that's it. The vaccines have been uh, looks like uh, really good so far. So that's that's uh, the good news there. So. Yay, vaccine talk. We Woo. try to avoid it, but I mean, I mean, it's going to be part of our lives. Frank gets his uh, his, his final one this week, and then he's all gung ho about the about the swap meet after getting his vaccine. Yeah, nice. Because he was like, "Yeah, let's go to the swap meet." Like six months ago, I think I said it. And then 
I said, we want to go with Mance. He's like, nah, I'm not. Yeah. So you're the one who suggested it. Then he, he thought better of it. So he's, he's over 70 at this point. He, he, he just turned 70 on Halloween. Could, we didn't have the big birthday bash for Frank, unfortunately. That was, was going to be planned 70. So we did the 60th one, remember? Yeah, I was there. Yeah. Wow. Yes. 10 years ago. Yeah. Wow. All right. You and Vonnie and uh, me and my ex there. Yeah, it was, it was fun times. Decades. Yeah. Just running through decades. No, it wasn't my ex. No, she was at the, she was at the, the second Halloween party. Yes. It, it was two, yes. Yeah, that was a few years later. Um, first one was just me hanging out by myself. Dressed as, I dressed as Big Lebowski. That's right. All right. That's it for this intro. Woo! Was it an hour long? No. Now that went better for you this time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You know what's going great right now, Ian? Google Stadia is going oh, fantastically. Yeah. Google Stadia is going great. Swimmingly so, well. Uh, Jason Schreier uh, put out an article um, documenting uh, basically the failure of, of Google Stadia um, and makes some, even in the tweet leading into the uh, the article, makes some good points. And these are the big takeaways from Google Stadia's uh, failure. It, it's still up there, but with first-party support gone, this thing is going to look like the PlayStation Vita. And the PlayStation Vita died a... I mean, it, it hung on, but for all intents and purposes, the PlayStation Vita was dead after Sony dropped its support of it. And I imagine that the same thing will happen here. They have missed their initial sales targets by hundreds of thousands. Um, of and, people? Uh, yes. Of subscribers. Yeah, okay. subscribers. Not dollars. Um, they tried to take on consoles rather than starting small. And they felt like they needed to bring in games like Red Dead, um, which they spent just insane sums of money on. Uh, tens of millions each is what they paid to port these games um, to, to Stadia. Well, let's, 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 let's back that up again. To port the game to Stadia. Yes. So Stadia is a streaming service. Or somewhere you're, the game is running somewhere, and then it gets streamed to you. It's, you. You think that it's running... Off a computer. Off a computer somewhere to get that to you. So what are you actually porting over at that point? I think it's a fancy way of saying we want to have this. Here's a ton of money to make sure that it comes right. here with no issues. Let us let us do this. Because yeah. obviously with, you know, a, they can't just go buy a copy off yes. the shelf and do it. Has it has to be licensed, yeah. basically. It has to be licensed. So It's a license. I think the port, <laughs> port is not so much the word as the red tape and paperwork yeah. to get the licensing over to us so that we can stream it on the, the computer. We can put it on our server. And I'm sure yeah. that there were probably some things that they may have done to the versions running on the Stadia computers to... Um, Optimize it, maybe Optimi a little yeah. Bit. Optimize it is the word I'm looking for. But I'm not saying I, I, I'm not a programmer. Maybe this, maybe but this was just blood, like, sweat, and tears, but toiling 20, work. Twenty million, but, not twenty million dollars worth of work. This was uh, an example of Google throwing money at, um, you know, a, a company to uh, to. 
basically try to buy their way into the the market by saying, "Look, we've got the big games." Yeah. Um. And yeah, didn't really work. Uh, I think so. And and then to and then they started going out and they started finding indie devs and offering money to indie devs to bring their games to, um. Stadia as timed exclusives. I, I I say it every time, but my buddy Brandon's game Gunsport is on there as a timed exclusive, and I can't wait to play it. But I also haven't gone and gotten a Stadia to do so because it's a timed exclusive. So so it, it was great for him. He, I mean, it was. I mean, uh, for the people who I. I, I, I with I, and I don't have a lot of insider info here, but my assumption is the people who got money for Stadia to do something for them probably had a pretty sweet deal. They got the money. Their game doesn't need to be exclusive. Exclusive. They, they get got a, the they funding. Get, they get they get a direct return without risk on their game. And that, they, get, they might not have made that money on Steam right. or somewhere else. Yeah, no, they won. So they they, they so take out the best good. money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, actually, we just mentioned them, but Q Games, the people who we talked about earlier, who did uh, Frogger, they just put out a game called. Uh, Raiders or Q Raiders or something, and it actually looks pretty interesting. And I think that one is also a hopefully a timed exclusive. I think honestly, at least for me, seeing two games like that on there at least make me interested. At least make me go, hmm, maybe you know. And as of now, exclusive, maybe there is a reason to to check it out instead of spending tens of millions of dollars to port over games that are years old and that people have already played. Why not take half that money and get something good and exclusive going fund for you? smaller indie games. Yeah, fund, and that's exactly where my, my problem is. Fund smaller indie games. You have, And make them exclusive then. Then you'll have a reason for people to get on it. Yeah, exactly. Create this online, you know, sort of, and I'm not saying you can't have some of the bigger name games too, but... Don't make that their focus. Have have a Red Dead and like something else big on Stadia when it comes out, but then fill out the lower ranks that, with all of these cool indie games that you can't play elsewhere. That twenty million, or ten to twenty, there's other ones, whatever. They probably spent a hundred million dollars getting or more getting like Ubisoft games. You know how many indie games I could have funded from scratch? Yeah, hundreds potentially. If one's like maybe one's everyone's like half a million dollars or less, like depending on how ambitious it is. Go go and look out uh, there. Look at the cream of the crop indie developers we've got. Look at look at Tribute. Look at Yacht Club. Look at um, yeah. Necrosoft. Look at all of these companies that do these great indie games and throw them the money and let them make no, something cool for your, your streaming service. I don't know how well it's doing, but Apple Arcade I think has been an unheralded success because they they get these games that are exclusive. They curate them. It's five bucks a month. And they're quality games. There's a lot and of they're small games. Yeah. I have, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I subscribe to, I haven't played some of these games in months. When I was first playing them, I'm like, this is a good game. This is worth, this is a, this is a value here. So Google, which is what we talk about marketing, when you try to do everything, you do nothing. They try to do, we're going to be the competitor to the big consoles like X, the new Xbox, the PlayStation. We're going to compete with them and be like the, the alternative to having a console, but also do the indie game stuff, which is not, like so, w- pick a freaking lane, and so um, crawl before you walk, basically. Which I was, but Google's such a huge company; they're probably, well, we have all this money, just throw this money at this. I hate that. I hate that approach to anything. I hate it with anything. Doesn't matter what it is. Or just start with something a small success, and you build from this. And they could have started with the small success while they were basically beta testing this with the smaller games, which would not have required a probably. Um, as much of a heavy infrastructure and 
you could get around potential latency issues with some of these smaller indie games anyway. Well, that's what I was going to say. Versus going also, for it, let's, let's make sure you can play a first-person shooter that'll be as good as the Xbox, which will never happen. I wanted to say that yeah. as well. Uh, hire these hire these smart indie devs with a track record to make games that are going to play that are yeah. going to play to the strengths of, of, of what you're trying to do. Um, and I do think, going back to the talk of um, uh, taking on the big boys, taking on Sony and Microsoft, I think there's a lot to be said about the goodwill people give a company or a company's likelihood to succeed if they are reasonable, if they are more reasonable in their... Um, their descriptions of what they're trying to do. The reason why I think there's goodwill towards something like the play date, which um, look, I'm into it, but I mean, at, 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 I mean, just being completely honest, it is a system that they are they created the market for it. It's not like anyone needs a play date. There are plenty of handhelds, but why is it interesting to people? It does something kind of unique, and they don't think it's going to take over the world. They think, hey, this might be interesting. This is for people. This is specifically for people who like indie games, who like the kind of artistic indie games that these developers, boom, 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 that we have, are doing the games. Uh, It's going to be about a hundred. And you like handhelds. And you like handhelds. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a specific niche. They and and they they're happy to exist within that niche. They're not stepping outside of. Yeah. what they have they're they're not building it up bigger than what it is this could have stadia could have been a really interesting way to gather and um curate very interesting indie games that you didn't need to play on a system it could have been the apple arcade but for for your tv right they could have done something like that they could have done something like that uh, 20 bucks a month 15 bucks a month get access to a, whatever 100 indie games and like they're good indie games and they're and they're exclusive you have something different that doesn't exist elsewhere not to necessarily bring it up or spend too much time on it, but the uh, my personal opinion of the, something like the Intellivision Amico, and maybe a lot of people's, uh, could could have been changed earlier on if they were aware of what they were doing and tried to market specifically to what it is. Hey, these are instead of trying to be like we're going to be in GameStop and we're going to be uh you know the fourth big player in in the console wars. Sure. You have to know what you or have or pick just retro and games what you, or just, or retro just games. the, the right. educational stuff not we're going to do everything. Instead you, you of saying can, it's going to do everything because no. that's essentially no. where we're at at that no. point with, with the Amico. No. It's it's going to do what whatever you want it to do that's what it's going to do. Give us the money. Yeah. No. Um no, you have to have an idea and and Stadia had an idea and they decided to do the hardest possible thing with it and it's it's not throw all this money at it marketing was terrible um it sounds like their biggest peak was when people were actually playing well it sounds like they were playing the pc version of cyberpunk on it and that was better than playing on a on a console because they're playing the pc version yeah that was that's all like that was that was the height of it 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 took it took took the biggest (laughs) failure uh, arguably in video game history it could be one of the big. It's in the top five, probably Cyberpunk, f- 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 top five biggest failures, at least of, a, of an individual game ever. Um, in order to show that, oh, there's something to the Stadia, but by then it's too late because no one, no one was into it, and no one bought into the. No, I want a console. Plus, I want to actually own. You know, I don't want something locked in the cloud. I want it at least locked to uh, uh, my 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 unit or have the physical media. So there was no advantage of playing those games. Besides, well, uh, a non-functioning game that should have been delayed another year. 
but still probably won't have the issues <laughs> later. But that, that's more cyberpunk issues than anything else. That's not the console sure. itself issues there. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how long this lasts. I mean, they got rid of, was it, was it a month ago? It seems like longer they got rid of their uh, in, in, in-house uh, studios. Um, it's not long for this world. Remember, there's that website here, which is linked to the article, killedbygoogle.com. Without looking, Ian, how many Google products or platforms has Google killed off in their history? Oh. Price uh, is right rules, without going over. Uh, 777. Oh, not that many. I was going to say, it's still shocking amount. 226. What? 777? <laughs> I don't know. 226 products have been killed off. And and Google has not been around as a giant company that long. A little over, what was it, like 22 years, something like that? Yeah, like I mean... 20, I, I, 23 years. I think of them as having always been there, but I remember the day someone was like, have you tried Google? And I was like, Yeah, no. like 95, 96. And I was like, oh, this is better. I don't need to use Webcrawler or Lycos or Hotbot anymore. And most of these... They've killed off 36 apps, 171 services, and 19 pieces of hardware. And most of these are within the past, I would say, 10 years. When you look back, like it looks like the majority is like the past 10 years. So you're talking off. You're talking about killing, <laughs> on average, your Pat Math like six to seven a year, over like 20 years or or more than that, eight a year, nine a year. It's ridiculous. Uh, Google Chrome Apps is done after a year. That's this year. Android things is gone this year. Uh, Angular JS JavaScript is gone in December. Google Hangouts is, is, has, has been uh, officially gone. Angular JS is gone after this year. Angular JavaScript gone after this year. That's crazy. Just because I was talking to a friend I haven't seen in a while, and he's, he right. works in programming, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm using Angular JS." I was like, "I've never used it before," and it's like, "Well, I guess he won't be using it much longer." Eleven years old. Hey, that's a good run for a Google product. Eleven yeah. years. Eleven years. Uh, I'm trying to look at other ones I, I've th- thought of. A lot of this is just shit they threw against the wall, I guess. Something called Loon was killed uh, killed uh, a month ago. Service to providing internet access via an array of high-altitude balloons hovering in the Earth's stratosphere. It was six years old. Okay. That was the thing they tried to do. I guess they couldn't monetize that. That's insane. Okay. <laughs> How about satellite instead of that? You're yeah. so, I guess it'd be better than satellite. Uh, Google Home Max. Atme- so, yeah. They try to do too much. They make money off of, off of like you know, the web advertisements. Obviously, they got they got the YouTubes. You know, so they got this stuff going on. But they have they have too much money to throw around. I guess and try this stuff. Give me some of that money. I'll do something with it. I'll start up some business venture. Virtual dry cleaning. That'll be my business. We'll dry clean. We'll dry clean your clothes virtually through the app somehow. <laughs> Drone dry cleaner. There you go. It'll come down in your house. There, I, there he is. Put me on Shark Tank. Cuban, Cuban. You out there, Mark Cuban? The drone will come and dry clean your stuff. <laughs> I know. I'm insane. Is that it on this? That's it. Uh, so uh, this will be gone. I'm going to give it, I mean, wiped off the earth uh, another year. The servers will be shut down. I think it's, they'll leave them lingering for a bit, but another year, I think. Yeah. Another year? Yeah, I, I think this is going to absolutely um, uh, expedite the process. Yeah. Well, it'll be, it'll be like two years total from like beta launch to like it's just done. This segment of the CU Podcast, Ian, is brought to you by Skull Chest Games. Does your retro game collection need some spicing up? Well, head on over to SkullChestGames.com where you can find sturdy and affordable stands for classic console games like the NES, SNES, N64, PS1, PS2, DS, Game Boy, Game Gear, and more. 
Want to show off your nice controllers? Skullchest Games has you covered with controller stands for N64, Switch Joy-Cons, PlayStation, and more. There's even one for the Zapper. That's right. Most stands and displays offer the option of customizing them with the word or short phrase of your choice. Check out more than 500 reviews and 5-star ratings and see what others have to say. Special offer time for you all. I know you all have retro game collections out there. Right now, you can save 10% off by using code NESPUNK at checkout when you go to SkullChessGames.com. Again, go to SkullChessGames.com and use code NESPUNK to save 10%. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Go make that collection look nifty. Go organize. Get it done. All right. Ian. Yep. We, we, we talked about this on the podcast. This was, uh, God, time doesn't mean anything anymore. It was uh, 2019. It seemed like it was longer. Um, it was a big video game heist in, in Missouri from trading games in St. Louis. And this was a um, nice shopkeep that I met at uh, Missouri Game Con that year. Uh, I attended there. And it was a big heist. They stole. Um, it, w- it was planned. They stole. They went in the back of the, this game store. And they stole. They literally stole the safe. They stole the safe. And carried the safe off. And there was a lot of graded games. Uh, there was NES test carts. There were box complete um like hard to find uh, atari games in there um there was some good stuff i think there was like little samson in there there was a lot of we covered this because it, nothing has had happened before right for a high school there, yeah people steal games from someone's house or something but like this was like a planned team that did this this is like a jewelry heist but with video games and it was like a watershed moment to me so there's a there was an update about this i think we talked about how someone was in, uh, arrested about this i believe it was last uh last year yeah damon wayne jackson is accused of stealing from trading games in august 2019 well i because his face looks familiar yeah i think we talked about this so so the arrest was made um what is this article from this was from february this is from a year ago so it sounds like in this update video it's uh it's uh more than alleged is that this guy's getting convicted uh of being a part of this right part of this this uh scheme here so there was an update posted uh to google google to youtube from jason from uh, trading games, it's a, um, it's not the best any, but it's better than not have happened at all. There were some of the stolen games recovered uh, from this, and yes, there is going to be looks like there's conviction. There's going to be a sentencing, so there will be some justice uh, done to this. So out of the about 125 games that were stolen, they recovered 20. When you, when you think about that, it's like well, it's only 20, but th- these were getting fenced out and sold. According to Jason, from from Missouri to Las Vegas, these were pros that made sure that we have to because some of these games we talked about at the time are so specific. These games, right, and so weird, especially the Atari games, complete in box. You don't find a lot of them. Uh, that we got to make sure that we fence these out. So, like taking them out of the obviously the, the water cases to make sure that, or the VGA cases to make sure that there's no identifier on them. Um, he said, for example, there were two Panesian games recovered. They had, the thieves sanded down the, the rental, rental engravings yep. in the back of the cart. Yeah, so sadly, a lot of the stuff is coming back to him in worse condition than it left. I mean, it's good that he's getting it back, but um, yeah, it's definitely a sad story. Um, a lot of the stuff ended up in Vegas. There's obviously pawn shops in Vegas, and there are game stores. So he's talking talk about an air raid. Air Raid's a really tough to find game. I don't think that was one in the box because there's only like three in the box that are that exist, two or three. Uh, if, if that was the case, that God, I don't remember that being an Air Raid in the box. But even an Air Raid cartridge goes for multiple thousands of dollars. You know, the blue one with the handle. Mm-hmm. 
that we covered. <laughs> on one of the most famous comeback songs of the week in Australia. Yep. Um, that was lost. They knew it ended up in Vegas, but somehow it wasn't recovered. It was lost, or maybe it was sold and resold to someone, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Cheating Man 2, another one that didn't come back there. So, um, yeah, on the table, you see some of them uh, that he recovered. They're worse for wear. Because he said like, a lot of them were like, you can tell we're in the back of the truck of a car and just we're sliding around. Uh, some are taken from their cases, obviously, uh, to be sold. Um, so now, even before this, I get scared looking around at the games I have in my place. Sure. Um, there's a lot of money uh, tied up, obviously, in this room and in specific games. You know, there's like, you know, a $10,000 game, you know, that's on a ca- you know on, on a chair over here or a few thousand dollar game. Ian has a magical chase near him. Yeah, you, you know? sure do. So, so, <laughs> so it's like when you think about this stuff, especially when this stuff wasn't worth this amount when I bought this with other collectors was, what happens at this point? Yes, I have a, I have a, um, uh, I have a, a safety deposit box at a, at, a, at a bank vault. I have my NWCs in there. I will be putting more games in there soon. But like I had like um, people walk through my house, lots of people in the past weeks. I had my furnace replaced. I had AC. You, you don't trust, you don't think that these are criminals, but all you need is one person out of a group of like five, six people to be, hmm, this is interesting. Yeah, sure. What if I come back in like a couple of months or, or you know, st- so it's always a danger uh, if, if they discover that. I'm going to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a refi in my house, a refinance. I'm going to have an appraiser walking through. And looking at, he'll be literally walking in. Go, oh, look at these games, and like, yes, he's not going to probably steal any. But now it's always lingering that this is a, this, even if it's a one percent chance of happening, it's one percent chance of happening. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why I stopped having. Um, I only had one person over ever uh, back in my old uh, condo to trade games inside of my residence. I did not want them inside my place and know exactly where I lived and know where my games were, just in case. Because you do hear stories from time to time. Nothing at the scale of this, but you do hear stories about. People getting stuff stolen uh, from doing after they do Craigslist deals, where people come back. Oh, yeah, not just for games. For I mean, for things in general, you hear about stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. You hear about people getting killed potentially. Uh, you hear about people uh, even meeting up uh, to buy, you know, uh, you know PS fives or, or new Xboxes, and, and there's violence that happens. So you have to be careful with strangers uh, in your house. So um, the good news is that it sounds like uh, Jason is, is, he he's instituted more stringent uh, security measures, more cameras and things like that, bars on the windows. Unfortunately, that's the age we live in. When people say, oh, it's a shame, it's like, there's criminal elements out there. There's, there's people that try to take advantage of you. you know, this, was a, this was a pro job that happened here. And he even said, I don't know who this person was. I don't remember seeing this person who did this. Yeah. How, how did they know that stuff was back there? Uh, well, say, the, he had said that it occurred after he did a YouTube video. Oh, that's right. Unboxing. It was a YouTube video. Yeah, he did. A, it was a few months after he did a YouTube video um, unboxing and showing off the stuff. And I mean, it's, he showed up to safe them in that video. Okay. Um, just stuff, you know, just obvious. Yeah, you got to be careful. People are always, always looking. Yeah, he, t- he talks about the damage on the boxes not coming back. So it's like a bittersweet ending because you're never going to find that. He mentioned one store in Vegas that he was pretty sure had the little a little Samson that was uh that was uh pawned or sold to them and they did they would not give it back. He tried calling them, they hung up on him. But it sounds like the vast majority of stores that knew it was his stuff gave the stuff back. They did the That's right low. thing. Yeah, no, I mean you have to. I mean Christ, whatever I wish I knew the name of that store in Vegas that, that hung uh up. he identified the store in the comments here. Uh, so I mean okay. he identified someone asked him what's that store. You don't I mean 
because there's a thing like these are so specific these games they had to have known they had to have known because it was doubtful that they brought in just the one game it might have been more than one you know again these Atari box so what games do, I mean what did you pay I mean I realize that money's tight now but I mean you're throwing away your credibility because you don't want to lose the what how much how much did you maybe, pay for the little Samson yeah I mean if you bought it used to resell chances are you spent under a thousand dollars on that little Samson sure and then obviously well these people are just looking to move them state by state you know that maybe they won't be. They're not gonna be. They're not gonna be haggling. When you when you have hot property, you're not gonna haggle. You're just gonna get rid of it. No, you're just. You gonna, yeah. No, that that is that is true. Yeah. So it's it's a shame. So um, the games were were valued at almost uh, looks like uh, mostly box Atari, ClickVision, Nintendo valued at almost a hundred grand. He did work with this insurance company. And that's the other thing I want to I want to spin off into about insurance. That's what I'm going through. I'm going through that with my refinance right now. Um, and home insurance. When you have home insurance, you have personal property loss attached to that. So if if, if, um, if something happened to these games went up in a fire, I would I would get compensated to some extent. It's personal property. The problem is the valuation. It's still so new that like when I'm talking to the woman on the phone about, I say, listen, um, I know you don't have an expert there. They have experts at insurance companies for jewelry and art because that stuff's been around for hundreds of years, those markets. I, I said to him, I have... A video game collection. She's like, video games? They, they can be worth money? Yeah, I, try, I explained a few that can be worth money to her. And it's like, like, what are you, like, are you a crazy person? We, like, it's unbelievable to them that they can be worth money. So we're still in that early stages of, like, we are the experts. The collectors are the experts. We're the ones that can appraise the stuff the best. There's not enough sources out there. Uh, you know, Heritage Auctions has only been auctioning this stuff off for, like, what, two years now? Just about? That's it. Sure. And that's not even the majority of games. That's just specific sealed video games for the most part. So um, make sure you document everything. That's what she said. And for everyone out there, make sure you document what you have, pictures, video, lists, to make sure that you at least present it to the person and you're not going to get 100% of it back. I'm getting alerts. I thought I talked to turn them off. Sorry, Ian. Is that bothering you? Yes. Uh, I don't know what, what I'm getting alerts for. Oh, my fucking email. Sorry. Um, so make sure you document everything you have. And then when it comes out to the, the, the valuation process, you're probably not going to get 100%. You're not going to no. get the eBay sold price or price charging. You're going to get something probably. They're not going to pay you out 100% unless they have an appraiser at an insurance company that agrees with you if something's lost or stolen. It's going to be an uphill battle. You're going to get something again, but yeah, you're not going to get the full amount. So, But he probably got something back. Who knows what he got? 25%, 30%, who the hell knows? Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully something. Exactly. And it's going to be, you know, and it might be replacement cost, and that's a whole other thing, replacement versus the actual item cost. So. All right, be careful out there if you have a video game collection. But, you know, it's a brave new world we're in right now. And we're going to get to another topic later that shows that that's a brave new world in a bit. Uh, all right, Ian. Oh, we're at the topic now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was the next topic. <laughs> it's the next topic. All right, Ian. Uh, we have a, we haven't done one in a while, a scumbag. scumbag. Seller of the week. 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 This scumbag seller week was brought to my attention late last night through uh, Ian's uh, pal. Yeah. So my friend, uh, hadn't seen him in a long time. We've been really good at doing the social distancing. Got together for pizza and a couple of drinks, and he asked me if I had heard of this topic and if we had covered it. And uh, upon looking at it, um, it definitely seemed like something we needed to cover. So... Uh, sometime starting in late late January, late January, um, there was a post on nestev.com 
about a person who has made what they have called perfect repros of the Nintendo World Championships card. Gray and gold. So we're not talking about like the stuff that retro uh, retro USB has done. You know the 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 repro uh, cards, different shell, entirely different, different. Th- yeah, entirely different or, shells, and or things even like the, that. or even the cheap AliExpress knockoff ones that come on eBay, where you can easily tell the difference without even opening them up. Those are clearly repros. They were never intended to be sold as anything but repros. They're so you can pop it in and play the competition yourself and have a good time. And I don't have a huge problem with that. It wasn't a re- no. it wasn't retail code. No, it doesn't have the full of those three games. It's a novelty um it's one of the rare instances i think where i'm actually just i'm I'm fine with those existing um these are meant to uh deceive yes when you say perfect repro repro what you're saying is this is counterfeit yes it's not perfect perfect repro is not a it's not a term this is a counterfeit item that was created by um this person on this form uh i guess he said he put several hundred hours into sourcing um, the original pieces that were used on on the on the board, um, and also the dip switch setting. A lot of times you see you see these you see these um, repros or whatever counterfeits. They cannot get the dip switch setting right. He somehow got the exact dip switch. He sourced that somehow. He sourced all the old um, all the old chips and all of that. Um, so this person is um, resourceful, uh, obviously. And, and decided, I'm going to do this to do this. And then he built four of them. He, he built a gold one, which he's going to keep. Um, and then he, he's keeping uh, one gray, and then he's selling two grays on, on eBay, these counterfeits, and he's already sold one, which totally slipped under the, under the radar, which is alarming. And no one alerted us uh, to that. No one knew about it because it was a European, uh, this guy's in France, European version. So this went for this gray one, which on the surface... Um, the dip switch and the board underneath looks, I mean, almost identical. Uh, it went for 1,561 euros. Which, Pat Math, that's, uh, what is that, about $1,700 uh, US, something like that. So, 227 bids. This is um, disturbing and alarming because if this was a regular old reproduction that did not look close, this would not have went for this amount. So the fact that this went for this amount, to me, someone is going to take the gamble to try to sell this as a real entity. There's no reason to buy something that looks this close for this amount of money unless you have nefarious means because you don't get something that's a counterfeit like that for your collection to spend this amount of money. I refuse to believe that. I just do. There might be a couple, but I just don't think this bidding war would have happened. That to me is really weird to see that. That amount of money for a counterfeit. Yeah, and it's strange, you know. Um, you know, he goes on to say, "Well, you know, I, I'm not selling them as genuine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera." But once they're out in the wild, uh, they're genuine. Who knows what people are going to be doing with them? Exactly. Um, it, it's just like the old eighteen hundred eighty-six dollars U.S. We used to get into it all the time with the repro label stuff. It's like, well, it's for your collection, sure, but once it gets out in the wild, who knows what people are going to try to pass it off as? Yeah. So the label is obviously cleaner is i think that'll be the thing it'd be hard to, to do all the glue things uh he put the gray one the number he put 342 so if you're out there in the community 342 if you see one that's uh that's this repro one uh i don't think that's one that's pre-existing i think i i i, I gotta look at the old uh, list to make sure that's not a pre-existing one but he put 342 on this one i don't know about the other ones so uh so it's 284 342 
310 and 228. The 228 is her prototype. Okay. That's what it says. So, um, this is person, they're a French engineer. This, the shell's an original gray one, so it's an original one. Um, the printed circuit is the perfect repro of the original, according to this auction. I'll, we'll get into that. All essential components are from the year 1990, identical to the original uh, version. Lots of components have been taken from the original NES game. So we'll get into the board in a second. So why would this person do this? I, I guess there's people out there that want the challenge of just doing it to do this. I guess. Which I understand um, to see if you can, but then you do it for yourself and you keep one. You don't make four and then you, sell them. Yeah. You want to recoup your money now because now you put this evil out into the world. Um, here's the good news, though. Um, the boards are not identical. I, I, I double-checked even on this, on this post. They are close, though. They are not identical. So if you are buying a gold NWC cart or a gray NWC cart, obviously you're going to be opening up this to check the board to make sure it's real. Obviously, you're going to do that. So it looks like a lot of these chips, uh, some of these chips are obviously pulled from other pre-existing NES games. These Sony chips are, are kind of standard, it looks like. Um, there's Nintendo chips here. The EEPROMs, that's interesting, uh, but there's also prototype games that probably use something similar at the time. You could have cannibalized a, pr- a prototype sure. NES game uh, to do that, which kind of makes me my stomach turn to do that. I'm more concerned about the dip switch, where that was sourced from, since that's always the, the giveaway. And the board itself was probably a similar type of board, and then they printed, they, they had the resources to print, uh, you know, the similar words to make, like, the big one is, like, the NES event yeah. on the top of it. That's the big one. That's the one that's almost never there. So when you look at the, um, the image of the original versus the, this counterfeit board, it's close. It's not 100%. But to the untrained eye, if someone doesn't know about this, I would look at this without realizing and be like, this is it. Well, here's the deal. Um, There's never been any attempt at making a counterfeit uh, board like this this before. So, you know, you hand someone, uh, I mean, granted at this point, this is obviously theoretical because they'd know it was a bootleg beforehand. But let's say you hand someone, uh, you know, a, a reproduction cartridge one from like uh retro usb or whatever and you go and you open it up and you go okay well that's obviously not the board i mean it's it it, it, in the world of 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 of, uh nwcs it should be very easy to tell if it's real or fake based on the fact that it has this crazy board that nothing else has nothing now there's something else that does now you can't just open up that cartridge and go yep there's the crazy board and close it back up now you actually have to verify that it's the original crazy board sure. not the new one so that's the good news you look at the original versus the counterfeit so the wording on, on the the chips of the original uh is different there's there's more uh, there's more things there's more identifiers there and some of the markings uh, on the board read different yes so this is not a hundred percent it's like 90 percent though and that is way too close already and at that point now you're in a world of trouble because now you can pull this board out and also, and also the labels. Yes, you look at the labels. Like the, the gold, I, I saw the person made this gold for themselves, and it, it's going to be really hard to replicate how shitty the original printed out gold uh, World Championships triangle logo is. That's going to be difficult. You have to source the fucking printer and paper from that. You know what I mean? Like now we're getting to real counterfeit. Sure. But 
this is alarming because even if you put this in front of, if I did not know the counterfeit exists, you, no, put, you put that, that board in front of me. That's what I'm getting at. I'm saying that's yeah. it because nothing else looks like that. Yeah, that's, that's what I was it. getting at with the previous thing. If you don't already know about this and this is dropped in front of you, I think even the staunchest of uh, collectors or the the most informed of collectors would look at it and be like, yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah. So there's like, for example, there's little identifiers that are different by. Um, by the transistors, the little transistors, by the chips, there's there's missing or included a wording above a, a few of these, um, above a lot of them, actually. So, yes, this is not the same board. The color, you probably put the color next to it. The color would probably be different, too. Now I'm looking sure. at the color. The color probably would not match, too. You probably couldn't get the exact board. So this person, you, you, you have programs that create, you know, pr- boards to print. So it creates a board. Uh, they source chips that are similar or close or the same size to pull it off and they make what is in theory to me the biggest thing is again the, the dip switch thing because if you don't take the card out it's going to look the same it's going to look the same unless you take the board out so yeah this is scummy yeah there's no reason to, to put this on eBay you want to make it and say I did this but now to put now this is out there in the world this is a Pandora's box thing that this can and this can come out a year from now or two years from now or three years from now. I don't want anyone to say, "Well, Pat, you you worry about the value of your card." Don't worry about the value of the cards because anyone I sell my game to, anyone else is going to now they're going to check the, the board. Now they're going to know about shit like right. this. Plus, I have Providence on the goal one. If you want to get technical, you know, so like we know who that is. Now these show up. If if, if these golds show up in the wild like this. Um, you're gonna have yeah, you're gonna have someone potentially getting screwed. Yeah, yeah, look out for people, you know, in the next year or two being like, "Oh, I found a gold." And with like a ripped up label or the labels off it. Oh, what a coincidence. Right. Because if we look at that label on the quote unquote perfect repo counterfeit, yeah, that label's not the same as, as it's not. I, I could tell by eye. But again, I'm trained for it because I know what they look like from the outside. I have one uh, there. All right. Well, it's, it's, been, it's, been, uh, it's been done. It's not 100%, though. I still think to do one 100, 100%, that's going to be uh, a lot more resource that they put into it. But uh, yeah, so get the word around there. Look out for this. Uh, I don't want anyone getting ripped off, uh, even even uh, someone who's looking to speculate. No one deserves to get ripped off for something that can cost them. Um, Jesus, like gold. I don't like I said, gold. I don't know what it would go for at this point, but the grays can go for a hundred grand. So it's not it's not worth it. To, uh, you know, even if you hate me and think this is going to damage my collection or whatever, it's not worth anyone getting ripped off. It's just not. All right, Ian. Yes. We have a Patreon, don't we? We do. It's patreon.com slash CU podcast. Go there. I do a weekly writing. You get the video podcast for free. The full one. Full video podcast people for don't, free. Sometimes people forget we, we, we film something and cut up segments for the YouTubers. It's funny how often people actually do still seem to forget that. There's t- definitely a different audience between the, between the podcast audio listeners and the YouTubers. Totally different audience, but I think it's funny. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, you just wrote about hangouts. you just wrote about your your roguelike game. Just wrote about yeah, playing roguelikes. That's my current obsession. You titled it at symbol, which I thought was was meant to be because I think they use that in those games. I it, think. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. It was an error. Player character. It was, Ian did it by accident on the Google Doc. No, the the and, uh, the ampersand is you. And then you do and you do a monthly hangout, and we do a weekly Patreon poll topic. We do. I, I'm, I'm going to two. We're going to two for because it's hard to think of three nowadays. And, so in second place, and this is a good topic. It's almost one last week. Do big video game releases get too much hype? Twenty-two percent. And in first place, this is the, the t- we got to give ourselves a t-ball one every now and then. Yes, we, we, we probably do this topic every other year. What NES games stand the test of time for playability and fun? 
And please, we will not use the words didn't age well or age well, hopefully, in this segment. So I was thinking of a couple, and I'm obvious I'm not going to list every single okay, one because the there's out. lots of them. There's lots the of them. Mm-hmm. But I want to bring up, so this topic kind of came about when we were discussing also people not wanting to go back to play um, play older games. Younger people maybe yeah, not wanting to go back and play yes, because they were, too too, hard. they were too frustrating or not enough is laid out or something like that. Let's so read. I tried to think of games that had like decent controls that, um, to me, you know, play like indie games that you would be able to go and buy today um so i think ones that i would certainly or recommend do indie games play like the quality okay. nes game sure um two that i would think of off the top of my head lolo adventures of lolo lolo 3 uh and kickle cubicle <laughs> i know lolo has to come up it's just funny well i, well, I, I mean I, it's I, an I, answer I, that i, I have I, I, i'm not criticizing it's funny that i didn't think you would think of lolo but not yet he's very low um you know, they're there's great. not a lot of games done like that anymore. No, there isn't, and they're great head scratcher puzzle games. Um, it's a genre that is not super well represented now. Uh, Kickle Cubicle is another one where it's kind of like a single action street. puzzle. Action puzzle. You know, yeah. uh, there's there's a little bit more action in Kickle Cubicle and a little bit more puzzle in Lolo. But basically, you walk around a top down viewing screen. Um, you have to collect all of a certain thing before a door opens and you move on to the next level. And in Lolo, at the very least, it's very easy to get yourself stuck in a level. Uh, There's usually only one or two ways to solve any given level. So there is a button you press to kill yourself. And I don't know, people might not enjoy uh, a game where you can get stuck so much. But it happens in puzzle games that are out there now. Um, I think it can happen in Baba is You, which is a good modern puzzle game. Um but I think, you know, they don't get... Im- These games don't see a whole lot of improvement from advanced graphics. Um, I feel like they play just as fresh as they did then as they would now. And, and that's why I pick those two. I think those two would be, you know, great examples of something you could pick up no matter when you got into NES. And they would still play fine. Yeah, it comes down to the, the, the having smooth controls. And, and like it's almost like when you get when you get down to it, the graphics are secondary to how well a game plays and is it fun so what games play well looking back that's how I look at this question like what games play smoothly that you can go back to you know a a game that when you look at the controls are so fine tuned that wow this is great this 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 is it this is why I like games so obviously you have the you have the the standard you're going to say even though I don't personally like them the Mega Man games people like that sort of sort of action platformer there's upgrades, so that makes people like being able to dominate some bosses. Uh, Ninja Gaiden still smooth. It's very unfair though in some spots. Ninja Gaiden, but it's, it's smooth controls. The controls are very smooth. Um, I, I just stumbled across what game I just stumbled across in here that was like that's a good one. A GI Joe, the, the, the GI Joe game, the, the, especially the first one. Controls are so smooth, so spot on. Uh, all the different characters you have in GI Joe. Um, no one talks about the game enough because it wasn't too common. Uh, at least the first one. Uh, games that I guess feel like they are well paced, you are in control of them, offer a little bit of variety, uh, not just because because I hear people say I can't play the original Super Mario Brothers sometimes, and I'm just like, what? I mean, the standard for how platformers play and control, like so people might want a little bit more than that. So if they want a little more, then okay, so you can't complain about Super Mario Three. Then you have a little more variety. Sure. 
you have the different outfits, you have the overhead map, you, you know, you have games like that, that that's why there are standards that come back to. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to think a little bit younger when I'm, when I'm going through these, unfortunately, because I, I, I did get in a little back and forth with people online about, about games being uh, too difficult, like Legend of Zelda, and then Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm like, okay, I get it. it you, you want something that's a little bit more to your sensibility uh, nowadays then. But even a lot of the sports games, talk about sports games, sports games have, have this weird knack of lasting a bit longer than other genres for people going back to and playing uh, for whatever reason, whether it's NBA Jam, uh, people are still updating uh, the NHL games from the 90s with updated rosters. They're doing it with uh, Tecmo Bowl, and, of course, Tecmo Super Bowl and Tecmo Bowl. Uh, Tecmo Super Bowl is a near-perfect game uh, yeah, that, 30 years later. That's what I was going to um, say. Because, because sports games keep evolving more towards the sim side, there are people that like to just play a, a quick, fast-paced representation of a sport. They don't necessarily need yeah. the sim. Well, some, and, some sim elements, but arcade action. But not something like Tecmo yeah. Super Bowl is perfect, and that's perfect. exactly... Perfect. It's a medium spot. And that's, that. that's why, like we've talked about, that's why NBA Jam does so well. Um, yeah. And is, it is timeless, because it's a spot-on representation of a quick pick-up-and-play basketball game. Is it a sim? No, absolutely not. But it it scratches that itch when you say, I, I want some basketball. Uh, and anyone can pick it up and play it. I mentioned it before. Uh, baseball Stars is, is still, God, it, it, we don't talk about top 10 baseball game lists, but if you don't put Baseball star, Stars on there, holy shit, it's so smooth how the game uh, plays. There's, there's, there's sim elements in it. Create your own team. Uh, the music is great. The animation is great for, uh, for that game. Um, I'm surprised there aren't more like I guess there, in certain regions there are, especially like N64 in Japan. I'm discovering cartoony baseball games that ha- that are that have sim elements, but I don't want all the major league baseball players. I want wacky stuff right. in this game. Like I want some wackiness in here, but I do want it to be a sim as well. I want to play a full season, but I don't want to play you know the Mets getting my ass kicked every game. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, yeah, I think obviously a game like Contra, smooth. One, I mean, it's a one-hit kill game. I love it. Others don't. Uh, there's probably... I'm trying to think. Uh, obviously, uh, the running gun shooters have come back with indie games to a, a bit, but I still think in my head that they're probably less popular than an action platform where you get, like, a health bar. It's a little, little more forgiving, obviously. <clears throat> sure. For, like, Ninja Gaiden uh, than a game like Contra in some aspects, even though, you know, you have reappearing characters, reappearing enemies in Ninja Gaiden when you stand on the screen, and then you get yourself screwed if you don't blaze through certain parts of it. Right there. How about Double Dragon 2? You like that one, Ian, don't you? Double Dragon 2 I do like, actually. Um, but I was going to say River City Ransom as well, uh, especially with lately beat-em-ups have, you know, kind of come back full force. With sim elements? Um, well, that's sim with RPG elements. With some with RPG elements. So, I, I mean, River City Ransom for sure, I think, you know, holds up, stands up to the test of time, um, plays well. Uh, Double Dragon 2 does have kind of weird controls, but you, you get used to them, and I think that's one that holds up fairly well, too. Well, it has two-player simultaneous action. Two, 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 yes, exactly. So you, you can't get wrong with that. Let me use the good, the good old app, which I haven't mentioned in a bit. I'm going to sort by rating here and just see what comes up. Uh, let's, let's, there you go. Um, I think, I think uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out is an interesting case uh, for replayability because there's not a lot of games done like a Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Where no, it's there, sporty, there but it's aren't. really quick actions and then pattern recognition and yeah it's an interesting case of a game where 
I can picture someone either liking the game because it's so unique, or someone nowadays, a 20-year-old, being like, what the fuck, I'm getting destroyed at this. I think like it's I'm one playing of, complex Simon, you know, or something. But like it's that. but it's different though because it, it is. No, you, I know because there is pattern recognition, but there's also getting by, and there's randomness as well with some of the boxers, with some of the boxing. So there's some there's some that's not random, some that's random. It's interesting uh, there. Uh, something like a Castlevania, people probably say, well, Castlevania three not the first, and the first one can be too difficult. Uh, I get that. Uh, I don't think people will go back and play. I think the the one thing that suffers the most when you look back at, at that are the oldie timey RPGs, especially like the original Dragon Warriors. I think those are passe that style by now versus modern RPGs, probably right. Yeah, I think people more like the you know the, the Super Nintendo style more action RPGs than the more more simplistic Dragon Warrior stuff where you really have to grind and grind for for fucking hours. You're not getting anywhere. You better help you get that freaking metal slime. You better when you got the metal slime, you're like, oh my god, get the metal yeah. slime. Make sure you kill it so you can get the EXP. I I can go up two levels at once or three levels at once there. Another interesting one that is almost like the sports, better sports games, I think, have long-lasting appeal is that the puzzle games don't go out of style. You play play the Tetris on the NES, you know, that's that's Tetris. Yeah, and that's kind of... Or Dr. Mario. Dr. Mario. Like, that's... I don't want to hear that didn't age well. It's it's a, the, the pinnacle of pu- puzzle games happened in the late <laughs> '80s. We didn't really evolve much after that when it came with Tetris or Doctor Mario. Is there even a third one? Puznik, you know, a game like that. Puznik was okay. It's it's, it's, it's an it's interesting game. It's not okay. Or dudes with attitudes. And then of course you have a game like Ducktales where Ian will, you know, didn't bring up surprisingly. No, I didn't. I didn't feel the need to bring it bring it up. I don't need to bring it up all the time. And then, of course, the shooters on the console, uh, something like uh, Gunnack is, is is excellent. Yes. Something like that. That would, If you just upgraded the graphics, that game would be an indie game to get today. You know, if you just, oh, just yeah. Upgraded. Absolutely. Gunnack, the next generation or what have you, that would be uh, you know gr- great today. Uh, yeah, I think we covered a, a good amount there. And then there's also fun ones that are one-offs that didn't really uh, come out again. You know, like, oh, the, oh, Silkworm's a shooter. That's a strange uh, shooter. Uh, I love... Uh, People, people ask me, gun to my head, what's like one of your favorite NES games? I say Super Dodgeball. Just to say. Yeah. It's not, this is not two-player uh, full-court action, but it's a fantastic game. It's two-player. Not No, only beanball mode in North America. Not for back and forth. Yes, it does. What am I thinking of then? That doesn't have it. I don't know. Oh, no, you can't. You can do four-player... Uh, the four-player thing is the one they changed. That's right. We we talked about that. What am I talking about? Yeah, they have two. I have no idea. I, oh, you know, what I was confused with you. You can't you can't pick uh, the other teams in single player. I'm no, confused. Yeah, yeah that. you have to. You yes. can only pick the teams if you do two player. That's what I was getting fucked up with, and I think I was confusing that with the, with the four-player thing that we talked about a year that, ago. Uh, Lincoln did a, a hack for. Yes, so you can do four-player beanball. They all got now. they all got spun in my head, and I somehow confused that with Double Dragon, the original not being two-player because it's the same company, and that's how Pat's brain gets rewired sometimes. It's fine. Sorry about that. Okay. Super Spike V-Ball. Lovely, lovely game. Lovely game. Really smooth. You know which one I don't go back to? Uh, Kid Icarus. I just never got the controls in that. I never enjoyed Kid Icarus. It's a vicious game. I never liked the fact that your little arrow was so short to begin with, and you had to like grind up and buy all that shit. That's one where, I won't use the dreaded phrase, but that's one I didn't like back then. Kid Icarus. <sighs> I liked Metroid somewhat. I got confused as a kid with all the... I did not like Kid Icarus that much back then. And then Battletoads is always trash. And I hate when people try to... I think I got an argument on Twitter. I don't know if you saw that about a month or two back when people try to argue that Battletoads is a, is a good game. It's an argument I've had um, since the dawn of time. And I Trust me. I can beat other games. I can beat Ninja Gaiden or freaking Top Secret Episode. I, I, yeah, Battletoads. You know what? I'll give the Battletoads a try. I'll see if I can get through it with save states. 
I'll try to do that. I can go back and play the original Popeye because it's one of my favorite arcade games. There you go. And then don't play Ninja Turtles 2 because I, I like the arcade game and I'm spoiled. Fuck it. The original Kung Fu is a great fucking game. Great quick 10-minute game, the original Kung Fu. Controls fantastically for a game that uh, from that era. I was actually going to bring that up, and I didn't. Are you kidding me, Kung Fu? Great, great game. Fucking Kung Fu. Not embar- I get four and a half stars. I'm not embarrassed to say that. For what it does, it does it fantastically well. Man, I can only give it four stars looking back, but I love, love Kung Fu with all my heart. Love it. Love it. Sorry, I'm getting angry about Kung Fu. That's all right. All right, Ian. It's time for some voicemails. You can go to anchor.fm slash podcast and leave us a little little message or question. Try to keep it short. Like 20 seconds is like the sweet spot. You know? That's right. You don't have to back pad us too much. Hey, but, hey it's just my question. It's my name. It's my question or comment. First one is from uh, Steven here. Hey, Pat and Ian. This is Andy from Indiana. Um, Why does it say Steven? On how you love '90s <laughs> FPS games, uh, and in the past three to four years, there have been a bunch of new uh, boomer shooters, as the kids say, from uh, indie devs. Is that a term? Um, have now. you played any of them? If so, uh, do you have any personal favorites? Anyway, love the show. Thank boomer you. shooter. Thank you for the question. I have not played any of them yet, but I keep meaning to. Uh, the one in particular that I keep meaning to play is Dusk. I keep hearing very, very good things about Dusk. Uh, my friend Joe is really, really big into that game, um, and it's a modern first-person shooter that's, you know, kind of patterned after old dooms and bloods and stuff like that, and it looks really great. So um, I know that there are more out there than that one. I think that's the big one, and actually, now that you've mentioned it, I think I'm going to add it to my Steam wish list and get on with it. Okay. Uh-oh, Ian. Here's a good one for you. I don't know what to do. Pat, Ian, love your show. You guys are great. Hey, I uh, grew up in western New York, and my uh, earliest memories of video games include a store called Zappers, which was a side business of Video Factory out there. And I was wondering if Ian uh, had ever gone to Zappers, played in any of their tournaments, or rented any of their games. This was back in Tournament. the uh, mid-90s, one of the first used video game stores I can remember. All right, thanks. What? Um, so there wasn't any like super close by to where I was. Uh, we always went to. We did go to Video Factory. Video Factory was one of the um, chain. It was like a local chain. Um, like Easy Video was one of was where we did a lot of video renting from uh, early on. And Record Theater, when Record Theater was still doing video rentals, um, I did go to a Zappers a couple of times, and I remember being kind of wowed by them because it was uh, the first time I had like walked. Not the first time, but it was the first video game store I saw that had like tons and tons of demo units. Like they had lots of demo units. Okay. Um, because at some point, it seemed like Toys R Us stopped putting out demo units, or they a lot of them, at least in my area, had got gotten into disrepair. So it was an interesting place to go and play. Like. Um, uh, you know, newer games, more up to date stuff. But no, I never really rented from there. Uh, I did buy lots of stuff from the, and, and that place didn't really stick around. I do remember buying yeah. stuff from the flea markets that had Zappers stickers on it and shit like that, and I had to get the Zappers logo off. So they probably, yeah. they probably lasted until Blockbuster killed them. Yeah, interesting, interesting uh, topic. There. Okay, little Holmesy. Yeah, article. No garbage plate like Rochester, but anyway. Oh, I thought about the garbage plate. Mm. Now I'm starving. Garbage. They're fasting, damn it. 
All right. Uh, here's a good one. I like this one. Hey, Pat and Ian. Uh, this is Kyle from Jack 7 Games. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, and I was actually just wondering what your favorite non-conventional controllers were. Uh, like your power glove or your power pad type controllers for any system. Uh, I'll start with mine, which is the Gamester FPS Master Controller for the uh, original Xbox and PS2. I don't know what Thank that you. is. I don't either. I don't know um, what it is. But I do actually like some some out there controllers. Um, I really enjoyed the JogCon that came with um, Ridge Racer 4. Uh, it's a very weird controller, not super easy to use, but I beat the whole game with it, um, and people do remember it. Uh, it was a it's a controller that has a force feedback jog wheel in the center. Um, so when you start ter- turning, the wheel will fight with you like a actual oh, driving okay. steering wheel. What class uh, was that again? It was PlayStation One. Okay. Um, the uh, other one, one another one that I really like is actually also. By Namco, it's the Negcon, um, which they put out with the original um, Ridge Racer, and that is a it, it's a it rotates on a disc for analog sensitivity when you're steering, and it also has uh, two buttons with a long throw. So when you push on the gas, it's not a 100% gas. You can actually ease onto the gas. It's an or analog ease pedal off. sort of thing. Yeah, it's like a. Have anal- I seen that one? Uh, have you shown me that one? Do you have that one? Yeah, I do have that one. I think I've sh- sh- shown you that one. Okay. It, it looks like two handles stuck together, and there's a big disc, and you twist it. You twist the uh, controller. Uh, did that come out in the U.S.? Or just... Yeah, it did. Okay. It did. Um, so those are two of my, my favorite weird controllers. Um, and then I have always kind of liked what they called the... I believe it's called the Capcom Soldier Pad. It's the weird Super Nintendo... Uh, controller that people don't quite understand. The one-handed one. The one. Well, it's not a one-handed controller. Well, it's the fighting game controller. Yeah, you, but it's but twisted. You, it's like yes, and I guess okay. you could say one-handed. You hold it in your left hand, and then Capcom's. you type. Yeah, you type like you would if you were at an arcade, um, and it's pretty comfortable, and it actually works pretty nicely. They're cool controllers. Am I, am I confusing that with with the RPG one? There or is the, an ASCII RPG controller that, but as well, which kind of looks at, not similar, but okay. I'm confusing that with that. Um. Hey, I hate to say it, I love the NES Max. I, because that's the one I had as a kid. Sure. When I say it's unconventional, um, I, when people say it doesn't work, you have to press it. It's not a, the circle is, but you have to press it. It's still a pad. It yes. just it just makes sure your thumb doesn't get Nintendo thumb when you're playing games like Track and Field. These are the games that it was great for. Uh, track and Field, Track and Field Two, anything with circular motion, Skate or Die, anything with the circular motion. Or something with extremes, ice hockey. Um, it was better. It was a little bit better, I believe, for like racing games that you go back and forth. What it's awful for any other type of game. Yes, any platformer you can't use it uh, because it it's it goes so into the diagonals that you cannot. You have to, it's not precise. It's for games that you have to be super precise like that, um, where you have to if you hit down by accident. You know what I mean? I still use it though. I got used to. It. I can play Super Mario Bros. with it, but and it had the built-in turbo buttons, the yeah. turbo buttons. So it was good for like shooters. That was kind of a big seller. So a game like actually a game like uh, a shooter would be great. A game like a Gunsmoke. I think I remember borrowing and playing Gunsmoke with it, with that, and that worked out great. So that's my favorite one by far. Uh, if, if for secondary one, oof, you want to go secondary? Uh, God, I know. I had to think about this a secondary one like that. I'm trying to think of one on the PC, but I think I mostly standard. 
stuff on the on the PC. Nothing nothing really uh, nothing really weird. Uh, let's see. Next one is from Riley. Hey, Pat and Ian. This is Riley. And I was just wondering your guys' opinion on the state of retro game collecting in 2020. Uh, kind of like your 2019 podcast. 2020 was certainly an interesting year for video game collecting. Just wanted to know how you guys felt about it. Well, it could, Peace. Uh, stay safe. Thanks, Riley. Well, well, it could be a whole topic, but I mean, like, obviously we had COVID that pumped up uh, prices and interest again, which was kind of surprising to see that in a lot of the uh, 8 and 16-bit stuff. Um, and then you had people going back and getting stuff from newer errors, Ian will tell you, like GameCube and PlayStation and PS2 and Xbox. Um, and, and then you had the crazy water shit that we yeah. I accounted for, but not to the extent that it happened when people were spending 60 grand on you know, sealed Super Mario Brothers and then spending tons of money on unsealed stuff, like spending $1,500 on a freaking box contra that wasn't even sealed. That's like insane. Games that are common. Uh, and, and not difficult to find even in the box. I didn't see it happening that quickly. Um, and I did not see it like $9,000 uh, Spider-Man on 2600. Then I realized these people are crazy and have way too much money. I don't know any better. So I mean, that, that was a state to me. Yeah, I mean, the state, I, I mean, just... The state of video game collecting right now, it's crazy and it's expensive. It's just nuts. I, I don't know that I would suggest anyone try to get into collecting right now. Yeah, because it was tailing off. Uh, I, I, said, I see people saying, we did that video with stuff we regret saying. It's like I think someone said, you guys regret saying that prices were going to you know, collapse or go down. It's like they were going down from 16 to 20. They were going steadily down on a lot of the consoles. You can look up the price charting data. We went to the conventions and saw no one buying the expensive NES games, or even Ian said, I didn't see the Earthbound selling right. at PRG. That was no. like uh, three years ago you said that. It was three years ago you said that in yeah. 2017. I said no, I saw like Earthbound and no one was buying it. The, the interest is less, or was becoming less and less, and it got a little shot in the arm uh, with COVID. But I don't see that shot lasting forever. It's gonna, it's gonna come back down. It has to again. You know, it was, it was uh, extenuating circumstances, and I think people also getting the stimulus checks, having a little extra money yep. helped as well. Especially in the first half of the year, there was a lot of stuff going on. People were afraid they would never see people, uh, you know, have experiences again outside, so they bought their consoles again. You don't tell you the story. Give me any game console, Ian said. People just like, yeah. give me a game console. Uh, anything. People fold me like, give me a game console. Uh, next. Let's see. Hey, guys. Uh, great work on the podcast. Much thanks. Keep it up. Uh, one important thing to keep in mind about the nope. Wii U, especially for any Zelda fans out there, the definitive editions of the Wind Waker and Twilight Princess exist on that console and have not been ported to Switch. So any hardcore Zelda fans, you want to play those titles, they're going to have to get a hold of a Wii U. Take well, it easy. We can, we can tell this topic's a little bit older now, right? Yes. <laughs> so, well, I mean, but they still haven't been ported to the Switch. I think they will at some point but he's right if you want to play those enhanced remakes of twilight princess and um wind waker you do need a wii u the reason why i didn't really bring it up is because i and sure this can come back to bite me in the ass nintendo always does weird shit but i would find it really hard to believe that those games aren't going to get some sort of release this year oh they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna bring twilight princess over i would think on the switch 
And Wind Waker. I mean, like I said, they did HD versions of both. I was say, they did, they did the HD Wind Waker, didn't they? Yeah, that came first. Yeah. That was, uh, that was like, early on in the Wii U's lifespan, and it was one of the games they gave away for free at, at a certain point if you bought the system. Yeah, I, I, think, I, think, th- I think they have Zelda bullets in, bullets in the barrel for later this year, I would think. I mean, yeah, if it's a big seller... Well, Twilight Princess was... Wait a minute. Was that, was that the one? I was getting confused with the one that came on the GameCube and the Wii. Uh, God, I was... Confused. Twilight Princess is the one that was on the GameCube and on the Wii. Oh, it was. Okay. Wind Waker was only on the GameCube. That's right. Okay. That's right. Gosh, too many Zelda games. Sorry. What's the- there are <laughs> lots of Zelda games, yes. What's the next one here? Uh... Oh, here we go. Hey, Pat and Ian. This is Phil from Wayne, New Jersey. Wayne! Listener. Wait a minute. Is that two Waynes? In a, was the same one last week with Wayne? From Wayne, New Jersey. Yeah. Last week I mentioned Wayne because they, they did the toy show. Oh. Did you get two in a row, Phil? I wanted to ask you guys what your thoughts would be on an all video game music station for Sirius XM. Do you think there's enough of a market for it? Not with Sirius XM. They're talking about a different demographic of people. Uh, Sirius XM is for. I do own stock. I must say that before I say this. I must disclose that legally. I own SiriusXM stock. Uh, SiriusXM was able to survive based upon like being free and, and for new cars and the truckers. It was huge with the truckers because mm-hmm. they can cross all the state lines and not constantly... Imagine being a trucker and you're driving across the U.S. and you, every fucking hour and a half, you're, you're filling with your radio trying to find new... Like, that sounds like hell on earth uh, to do that. And this Again, this is before... Uh, you know. Um, Podcast got big, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14 years ago when SiriusXM was going to take over the world, you know, when, when YouTube was still like a new thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know the audience, but I don't see a lot of people that spend time playing a lot of video games uh, not being able to access a video game soundtrack when they want to just on YouTube or, you know what I mean? Like, I don't see them sure. going to a specific SiriusXM channel. If you're going to get SiriusXM, it's for a specific. Uh, talk show podcast, or I, I want to li- listen from the hits from the fifties and sixties, or the the you know a- the AM Gold station. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's a different generation, uh, ver- slightly, slightly. I think it's I, a neat idea, uh, but I think I think we've kind of missed the boat on radio stations. I, it, people are yeah. listening to Spotify playlists, playlists curate, cu- curated by celebrities and influencers and stuff like that. I I don't I I. I I like the idea. I just don't see how... Uh, I, I can't imagine it being used very often. I don't think that's the market that's using SiriusXM. Yeah, it's just a different market. I'll do a couple more. Hey, guys. This is Alan from Orange, California. I'm 16, and I'm a lover of the 2600 and physical media. My question to oh. you guys is, if you were to take someone out for lunch, what place would you most likely take them to? Thanks. Kind of threw me for, I thought Al was going to go towards, uh, hey, I'm, I'm a young guy who likes a video game console that came out you know, 30 years before I was alive. <laughs> um, where would you take someone out to lunch to? If you had to do, if you had to do it, like, let's, I don't know, like a, like a, I don't know, like a friendly, social, I don't know if it'd be like a semi-business meeting or just as a social, with someone new, where would you take someone to lunch? Uh, to lunch? Where would you take Pat to lunch, Ian? Where would you take me? Well, I'd, I'd probably get your ass out to Fish Pit, finally. That place is good. That place is real good. Um, but I've always enjoyed like lunches around here. One of my favorite places to go for a lunch is uh, the OB Noodle House. It's usually not super crazy. For lunch? Yeah. It's usually not super crazy in the afternoon. Um, I've had lots of good lunches there. They always run great specials. Um, so, yeah, probably something like that. Uh, what I miss out here is uh, I'll take you to a, I'd take you to a diner. 
With a diner, you can get anything at a diner. Anything at a diner. But you, you can get a nice club sandwich. Get a, get a club. Club and fries. <laughs> for like five, and plus, it's cheap. Like six bucks. Yeah. I, I remember going to a diner where you can get a hamburger for like three fifty, Like a decent diner burger. Like three fifty, three seventy five. You can get like four, you can get nachos for like five and a half bucks. You know, it's like ten, fifteen years ago. Or you, or you know what? I want an omelet for six fifty, seven bucks with with toast. Fuck, I'm hungry. I want an omelet. I want an omelet with with bacon, Swiss cheese. I want sauce on sour cream on the side. <laughs> I want home fries, and I want rye toast. Dry rye toast. Dry jelly. Delicious rye toast. Jelly and butter on the side. They, they over butter. I don't want it soggy. I want it fresh. Put my own butter on it as I eat it. That's how you. That's how you get your toast at a diner. You don't want it pre-buttered. That's disgusting. You can't. You want to be able to control your own destiny of your butter. I honestly don't care that much. Come on, you have had soggy, cold, butter, too buttered. I have and I eat diner it. toast. I eat it all the same. No, no, no. Diners, diners, where it's at. One more. We got one more here. Hey, Pat and Ian. This is Stephanie calling from Florida. Um, I have a couple questions for you guys. We were just ordering Girl Scout cookies while mm. we were listening to your podcast, and we were just wondering if. You guys had a favorite. What is your favorite Girl Scout cookie? Favorite Girl Scout cookie, and we Absolutely. were talking this because you, you have. I think it's, it's around for another like couple of weeks you, to, to order Girl Scout cookies this year. I have two. Uh, the Samoas are my number one favorite. As, Love as, them. As Frank says, that's candy. That's no longer a cookie. Uh, yeah, it's it's, 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 it's fine. Uh, it's, it's but the tag alongs don't count then either. Oh, the, the, the tag alongs are, are like the um, tasty cake, little peanut butter yeah, treats. They call they're, them candy cakes. They yes. literally call them candy cakes. They're not cookies. Um, but the Samoas have always been my favorite, and uh, a close second. And unfortunately, I can't get them. It doesn't seem like they've been around for a few years. Uh, they still have lemon cookies that you can get through the Girl Scouts, but I miss the lemon creams. Um, they look like you, I can't remember what they're called, but you can get like the peanut butter creams. They just look like those sandwich cookies that you would get, you know, at oh, any grocery ones. store. Yeah. yeah, those are decent. Yeah, but they used to do lemon cream sandwich cookies. Oh, I like f- that. Yeah, and I fucking loved those. The dosi dos were the peanut butter ones, I think. I the think sandwich right. ones. So they used to have a lemon version. Now they have s'mores, which I guess is fairly new. They are good. The s'mores are good. Is that closer to a Samoa in consistency? No, it's it's just got like a marshmallow chocolate on the inside. Okay. It's good. But uh, yeah, Samoas and um, the old lemon creams. Let's see what our second part is. And my second question is for Ian. Um, how come it feels like you're so like annoyed and like fed up with Pat? Um, you know, I think like you could be just like a little bit nicer. He kind of like gave you most of your clout and brought you onto his channel and stuff. But um, anyway, yeah, love you guys. Great podcast. Thanks. Bye. But Stephanie, hey, Stephanie, Pat. Stephanie, white knighting for me. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm not here for clout, but uh, thank you. Um, I'm a crabby, annoyed person. Pat chooses to be around me. In all, in all seriousness, Stephanie, um, we are both are. Um, how do I put this? We we both have different uh, peccadillos when it when it comes to interaction with each other. Oh, we sure do. We 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 have different things that I think we put up with each other, and we've learned to love about each other. I think in some way, some uh, way, shape, or form. 
and while I wouldn't say it's a conscious thing, yeah. um, there are certain things, as Pat has alluded to below, b- before, uh, there are certain things that we play up a little bit more uh, on the podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. I you, think, you are watching an entertainment program. Yes, we, 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 these are our real personalities, but we have to, we're presenting, we're presenting to you. We're in the mode of being like, hey, when you get get an actor to present the Oscars, you know, it's played up a little bit. Maybe their personality. We're I pre- play up my yeah. annoyance with Pat, just like he plays up how he knows how to annoy me. Am I playing that up, or I just want to annoy you? I don't know. Anyway, no, no, and, and, and here's the thing: it's like Ian and talk about we talk about clout. Ian has. There's a weird thing with the podcast is that there are people that gravitate towards me and people that gravitate towards Ian. As like the primary focus. Yes, I see comments all the time. Either, either get rid of Ian, or Ian deserves needs his own podcast without Pat. That happens more times than you can possibly imagine. Oh yeah, that people we have, we have different personalities, which which people are attracted to in one way or the other. And if you probably look at our follower list, there is going to be overlap on like Twitter, but there's also be people that don't follow. Oh, both there of are us. plenty of people who do, that right. that like show up in uh, you know the comments right. on like posts you make that don't follow me and i'm sure vice versa absolutely which is fine i think i think yeah. i think that's acceptable you can't have everyone liking everyone I, no i think that's great actually yeah. i mean it, it means that we hey. provide a variety enough of a variety of opinions that people don't feel the need to follow both it means us. that if me and ian if me and ian um had like a dinner say at a diner at a diner mm-hmm. and we had a, we had a meet up with people um it was splinter off some people would go with Ian, mm-hmm. and some people would go with Pat. It doesn't mean we all can't interact with each other, but at some point, there'll be a time limit for when this is enough. I don't like you enough to spend the whole day with. Sure. There's always that, <laughs> you know that, you know that time limit where you have a friend where I can spend an hour and a half or two hours with someone. Yeah. I can't spend the whole day with someone, or like your cousin, or something. Yeah, I can spend a couple hours with my cousin, a few hours. I, I'll, I will strangle you after hour three. There's always going to be like, there's, you can get along with someone enough until until that point. But uh, but Stephanie, thank you for white knighting for me. It kind of turned me on a little bit, not going to lie, because I never had that happen to me before. But, <laughs> but thanks. For, I'm just going to be honest. Someone's sticking up for me like that. I, and the fact that she likes Girl Scout cookies. So we got that going on. Yeah, that's always good. All right. That's it for this uh, See You podcast. Yeah, I think that's that's about that. This was, this was a fun one. Um, again, I'm going to be on, I'm gonna be on uh, Twitch Wednesday night. Twitch.tv slash uh, country code. Ian will stop in never to say hi. Maybe. With it. There's some fun ones. There's some fun commercials. They make it fun. They make it fun. And then we, I usually um, uh, do a raid of someone else. And one of the ones I've been raiding more uh, frequently is uh, Princess Za because she's a speedrunner bunk and sometimes a splatter house. Oh. So, and, and, she, and she actually grew up with Trevor Graphics and plays on the real hardware. So I'm like, oh, okay. Need a mosquito. It's like, God, if there was a match for me, that'd be it. But no, she's there. <laughs> I don't read anyone that liked TurboGrafx-16. Never. All right, Pat, you're starting to get horny on me. Let's, let's go. Oh, yeah, that's definitely, that, 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 she turned me on to the yeah. white nighty for me? She's ready to go, right here, <laughs> All right, we'll see you all later. Bye.